So before I start with the sermon, I want to share, yeah, keep it there. That's a really cool background. I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, to be honest, I never seen the movies. I only saw a TV show called Little Weapon. Then I learned there was about a movie, which I had to watch, I guess. Um, but I, I want to share something that was coming to my mind while we were worshiping, especially because today we have a lot of people missing. And so I was talking with a friend, um, Cleve, and so every time he prays for me after we, we talk, he says, God, please remind him of situations, of situations that were like this and how you worked um, in his life. And I was thinking about you know, people that were missing today and remind me of a church in, in Argentina that it was before running I got married and the pastor was appointed to this church and for like four months it was the pastor, me leading worship and a lady. Uh, it, was, it was only the three of us. And he still preached, preached for an hour, which I'm like, that guy, he had cojones. Um, and then I remember when we were in Uruguay, and I don't know if you remember this, it was winter, it was freezing, and it was Ronnie and me, and three more, so that was, that was the entire people in the church, around a heater. Like worshiping and preaching. Um, and the interesting things on that church in, in Argentina, now they have like three services on Sunday and they had to get a bigger building, which is pretty amazing, uh, perseverance. And in our Uruguay, after we left, uh, that church was packed. So it's like, got circled with our lives. Like, it's like always starting from scratch. <laughs> Um, so that, that memory was encouraging. But going back to the sermon, there are um, a couple of things um, that why I made this um, sign. So, well, Little Weapon and uh, two Sundays ago, it was clear that m m my concern on how the Bible has been used as a weapon of destruction. Um, but the painting that is in the back, and I think it's coming in the next slide. Ronnie, if you can put it. Okay, that's a graffiti that is in Belfast and New Ireland, in Ireland. And it's called The Son of Protagoras. And it was painted by a, a French graffiti artist. And if you can go back to the image, I should have got a, a, a closer one but that one reflects everything. And what you can see is an angry man, an angry Irish man, you know, the redhead that was. And that man is, that, that graffiti is looking directly to um, St. Anne's Cathedral, which is in the next picture. So that graffiti is, um, you can see, if, if, you're, if you walk by that cathedral, you can see between some buildings the eyes of that graffiti um, looking really angry at that, um, at that cathedral. And 
So this, and let me just read this. So this figure cradles um, a dead dove that has been pierced by two arrows, and you can see it there, uh, bearing one of the arrows, the cross of Malta, and the other one's the Latin cross. The artist made this work as a comment on the conflict that once raged between the Irish Catholic nationalist and the Protestant unionist, unionist, a conflict that was bound by religious identity. Um, and this dove that is piercing, just pierce, has so, such a powerful symbolism um, because the dove represents peace and has been pierced by two arrows. Uh, that one represents the Protestant and the other one represents the Catholics and how that divided and created a lot of deaths and how angry people were at institutional religion. Now, nowadays, even though this, this painting, the son of Protagoras, uh, and you can look more online later, it's a really amazing painting and the history behind that is just powerful. But even though this, this graffiti just speak to a specific issue in Belfast and Ireland, it reflects the thought of a lot of people through history when it comes to religion. It reflects the thought of a lot of people around the world about how they see Christian and Christians. And even though you know, the children should not bear the sins of their mothers and fathers, we have inherited that reputation from our forefathers and our foremothers regarding Christianity, specifically in how the world sees Christianity today, where more and more people are leaving the faith. Um, because the reality is that the world does not care the book we, the book we read. The world does not care about what temple we go and worship, and the world does not care how many times we pray. What the world cares is how we affect it. What people cares is not the book or the temple or how many times we pray. What people cares is about how we are affecting their lives. They care if are we hurting people or are we healing people? Are we hoarding power or are we freeing people? Are we accumulating richness or are we feeding people that are hungry? What the world cares is not necessarily about our ideas, but how those ideas through our lives are affecting them. So let me read this passage from the book of Acts. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the good will of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So this is the beginning of the new Christian community in the book of Acts. And I love the part that says that, uh, that 
they they're praising God and having the good will of the people. So this word goodwill in the Greek means cherish and can mean grace, goodwill, favor, and approval. And that's and and different it's used in different ways across scripture. They have the community outside of, of their own faith community. The people in town approve what they were doing. The people in town liked what they were seeing. The people in town, they, what we need to understand is that new religions were scary to people in that time. And that Christian faith was kind of new for them because it was like a sect that broke from the, uh, the Jewish faith. But people were not as scared of them. They approved them. They have grace upon them. They had the favor of the people in the community because they saw the things that they were doing. So this is the thing. The same thing that drives people across to Christianity is the same thing that scares people away from Christianity. Make people want to come to a certain church or group of people as when they see, oh, they love each other. Oh, they, they care for each other. And when they see a community, a Christian community that is not showing that, they're like, oh, those Christians. So the same thing, so the same thing brings you in or the same thing scares them. It's the way we live, the way that those people of faith Believe. So when we hear the gospel for the first time, when we, or when we want to start a walk of faith, there are two things that happen um, that we might be or might not be aware. And it's a time of decision. And the first one is, well, are, are we gonna let ourselves be transformed by that God that has been introduced to us? Or are we gonna adapt that revelation that was shared with us adapted to our own views and create a new God. This is what Hebrews says. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides the soul from the spirit, joins from marrow, 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 it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and lay bare to the eyes of the one who must render an account. Who must we render an account? So, when we're introduced to, or when we were introduced, or when we decide to, okay, I think when I take my faith serious, we're making a choice there. Intentional or not intentional? I'm gonna be opened up. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let myself be a, in a good way, a victim of what the scripture that we just read says. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, am I gonna let that sore of God open me and until the, the, the most intimate space so can everything be, because nothing, nothing can be hidden from him? Or 
I'm gonna take this idea, I'm gonna reshape it to what I want it to look like, and I'm gonna leave my, and, and, and I'm gonna use it as a badge and pretend that I'm part of that faith. Um, and I think I got a little bit confused over there about what I meant. <laughs> but I, I'll clear myself in a minute. Um, so, because this passage from, from the letter to uh, the Hebrews says that the word of God, and it's comparing it with the sword of God. But when it talks about the word of God, it says, before him, not creature is hidden. And it doesn't say before it, not creature is hidden. And I want to put a lot of emphasis in this because I think uh, something that has happened in the past is that we took this idea of what the Word of God is so we can adapt it to what we wanted to say. And so just look at this image. So Ryan, Ryan shared this image the other day. Um, and it was a person that, shared, that said, the Word is your weapon. Don't sit on it. Use it to fight your battles. You are a warrior. Now, the message is really encouraging. I, I, I love that message. But the interesting thing to me is that when it says the word is pointing to scripture, it's pointing to the Bible. So if you Google the sword of God, for example, go to the next image. If you Google the sword of God, these are the images that, that showed up. And are all images of a sword but connected to the Bible. Like if the Bible is your weapon, like that word of God is a sword for battle. And I agree and disagree with that statement. And, and we will see why, because the reality is that, so a lot of people, when we talk about the word of God or the sword of God, for good reason, we think about it as the Bible. But when we read, if we read the New Testament, if you think about writers like Paul, if we think about writers like the disciples, or even the writer of the letter of Hebrew that talks about uh, that the word of God is like a sword, it's not talking about the New Testament. For us, it's very common, and again, for good reason, to think like the Bible is the word of God or the sword of God. But the reality is in the moment that this scripture was written, these letters were written, the New Testament didn't exist. And it's very likely that the writer of Hebrews did not even know the other letters that were going around. Um, and even the letter of Hebrews, it seemed to be written a little bit before some of the Gospels. The New Testament came later than this. And the problem about us thinking in the ways that the Bible is the Word of God, is that when we do that, when we assert that the Bible is the Word of God, we are diminishing what it means to possess the Word of God. Because I'm gonna say something that is gonna sound like a little bit crazy. Just hang in there. <laughs> don't, don't shut your ears yet. I, I promise that's, it's very affirming at the end. 
But the Bible is just a book. The letter in Hebrew says that the word of God is alive. And the Bible, if we put it with other books, it would not do anything else than any other book does. It stays there on a shelf, can stay there still. And this book contains stories from communities that lived 10,000 years ago, communities that lived 2,000 years ago, different realities, different people, stories that for some reason relate to our life today. And it's also in this book, and specifically in this letter that I just read, that we, we hear this, that Jesus is the same yesterday, is the same today, and is the same forever. And Jesus, God, is the same yesterday, is the same today, and is the same forever. But we are not the same people. We're not the same people that the Bible talks about. They are not us. We're not them. Times are different. Our realities are different. The way we spend our time is different. But God is the same. So the Bible is just a book. Now, and I'm going to read this because I don't want to miss a bit on it. But this book, the Bible, contains something that is far greater than any other book ever written. It contains testimonies. But not just any testimony. It contains testimonies about God. Not just about any God, but the living God. It contains testimonies about who God is, about who the men and women are, and how those men and women are in, in light of their discovery of God. The power is not that book, but the power is in the words of that book. The powers are in the story that that book is sharing. That's what makes the Bible very different to any other book because it contains the testimony of God's greatness. It contains the stories of people that are not us, but we can relate to and learn who they became in light of God. And these things that were written in the book were at some point verbs, actions, real things that were happening. God has revealed God's self in history and scripture, the Bible, scripture, testified of those revelations. Scripture is not a revelation in and of itself, but it's a testimony of a revelation that has occurred. The Bible is where we learn from. The Bible is what we abide by. And is what strengthens our faith. When the writers of the New Testament talk about, repeat the phrase, the word of God, they, they suggest that there is more, but not less, than the scriptures in the Old Testament. For us today, when we read the Word of God, that means more and not less than the Old Testament and the New Testament. When the writers of the New Testament talk about the Word of God, they are talking about Jesus and Jesus, 
declarations about the kingdom of God is near. John 1 talks about that the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and that was Jesus Christ. So for the writers of the New Testament, Jesus was the word of God. And the old text, God's word seems to mean to them the ancient scriptures and the message about how Jesus came true, how those scriptures became true in Jesus. The ancient scriptures for the writers seem to be part of God's word, but God's word became complete with Jesus. Those scriptures became a reality in Jesus. Let me read another passage. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered to them, whether it's right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And this is to me like an answer to what the Christian life is. We cannot stop speaking about what we have, what we have heard and what we have seen. So what the writer of the book of Acts is saying is, is, is writing, it's not a set of regulations in the book of Acts. What the writing is doing is, this is what Peter and John were doing. They were speaking about things they have heard Jesus say. They are speaking about things they have seen Jesus do. They are speaking about things they have heard the Holy Spirit saying. They are speaking about things they have seen the Holy Spirit do. And the other part is that it's not saying, so John and Peter sat down, read the ancient scriptures, and stayed there at home. They were out, speaking out, and, and sometimes we take that as like, well, they went and talked about Jesus, trying to evangelize everybody. But if we read the book of Acts, they were healing people left and right. They were feeding people left and right because they have seen Jesus doing the same thing. God is not revealed to the world through scripture through the Bible. God is revealed to the world through the actions of Jesus' followers. And we learn about Jesus through scripture. But if we, if we, try, to, if we try to convince people that Christianity is good just by saying read the Bible, it's not gonna work. The only reason that it's gonna make people to be a little bit interested about what the Bible is, is they see that we are reflecting a way of living that tries to make the world a better place. And then they're gonna get intrigued, like what is that these people, what, what is driving these people to act this way? So for us, for people of faith, yes, we learn about God and we learn about Jesus through scripture but the way that is revealed to the world is the way that we live out that and know how we keep it in 
to our life. N.T. Wright, um, theologian, he wrote, but the Bible has authority in this, that the stories that we read in it have an uncanny knack of going right to the heart of things, or more especially right to the heart of people. When people read them or hear them, they find themselves, as we say, opened right up, made aware not only of new truth coming in from the outside, but perhaps more worrying of what was going on inside them. Things they had managed to keep hidden from themselves or ourselves. So the Bible has power, but not as a magic thing. The Bible has power in the stories that we read in it. And I I love this phrase that those that do not learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And I think the Bible in some way, do you feel sleep wrong? No. Oh. <laughs> so those that do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. And I think the Bible for followers of Christ is history. If we don't know how Jesus lived his life, if we don't know how the disciples lived their faith, we are condemned to repeat the actions of those Christians that have caused pains in the hearts of a lot of people, making them think that Christianity is just a curse to the world that doesn't bring anything good but pain and suffering and discrimination. Jesus fed to whomever was coming. Jesus, when they were stopping people from coming from him, he just said, let, let them come to me. When somebody called his name, he stopped for them. When a lady that was bleeding and was rejected touched him, he came to her. The shadow or the shade of the disciples were healing people. They were selling everything they have, sharing. Once we learn that our inheritance as Christian is to love God with our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor as ourselves, we can redeem that inherit, that inheritance that we got from Christians before us. Christians that at some point own slaves, Christians that at some point persecute people, Christians that have fortunes, Christians that do not hang with other people that do not look like them. And we can only learn and be redeemed when we learn about the power the scripture has. That is not just repeating words that says there, but to learn in this, about the stories that the Bible is sharing. The power in it, once again, is not the words, but the stories that those words are sharing. And when we talk about the scripture, when we talk about the word of God, not scripture, when we talk about the word of God being like a double-edged sword, it doesn't mean that it's going to cut people in half. It's an analogy that in front of Jesus, there is nothing that we can hide. We are fully open. 
And the stories that the Bible shares are stories that make us fully open to who God is.